When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast dedicated to helping you clean up your mind and life. In today's episode, I interview therapist Vianna Farron, one of my favorite people to talk to about mental health, life, and relationships. In this episode, we discuss divorce, how to help children deal with divorce, how to deal with the shame and the guilt of divorce, common issues in relationships, how Vienna helps couples who are struggling with their relationships, how to not let your past experiences negatively affect future relationships, and so much more. Vienna Farron is a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of New York, practicing out of New York City. She runs singles and couples retreats around the world and leads relationship workshops in new cities every few months. Vienna brings a special type of energy to therapy. She truly believes that her clients have the capacity to create beautiful, long-lasting change. She pays close attention to patterns and looks to understand a person's full story before examining the issue that's bringing the client in. Vienna listens to understand and uses a collaborative approach so that she and her clients can explore, discuss, challenge thoughts and feelings and create goals. She uses a systematic and integrative approach that addresses people within the context of their relationships. One more thing before we begin. If you enjoy listening to my podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review and subscribing wherever you listen. And keep sharing this with friends and family and on social media. I love seeing what you're all learning and how these podcasts are helping you clean up your mental mess. And now to today's podcast. Vienna, what an honor to have you in the studio with me today. Well, even though it's via Zoom, I still feel like we're together in the studio because I can see you and I'm so excited to interview you. You have such a great Instagram page and such an important message to share. So thank you for taking the time out to spend this time with me and my listeners. Thank you for having me. Excited for this conversation. I am too. Can we begin by you just telling my listeners who you are, what you do, and then also throw in something that's not in your bio, some little mm. insight, in like the little insider tidbit, because I know you're missing sure. your dogs at the moment. Oh, <laughs> you, yes. You're holding up in Vancouver, gorgeous Vancouver, but you're missing your dogs. I thought that was yes. so cute. One of the first oh. things you said to me. <laughs> yes. So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I work with individuals and couples and just focus all of my work around relationships and understanding them through the lens of understanding our 
family of origin, our family systems. And I, I have a private practice in New York City. I run retreats and workshops and courses, you know, all the things and just love the work. What I don't often tell people, let's see. Yes, I do miss my dog who is with my back and forth between my parents. He's getting, he's getting a feel of what it was like for me to go back and forth between That's- two homes. That's so funny. He's that's yeah. so funny. He's gonna. You can have a good therapy he session I, when absolutely. you, you know, your good bonding session. That's there right. When you, <laughs> that's right. When you reconnect. And I love boxing. I'm missing being in the boxing gym and and getting those 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 same workouts in. What else? I mean, I'm an only child. I generally tell the story of you know how I got into the work, which maybe we'll we'll get into, but. Tell us, um, tell us the story. Yeah. That, that's that's sure. great. So my parents, they separated when I was in first grade and then proceeded to go through a nine-year divorce. It was the longest in the state of New Jersey's history at the time. So really, really drawn out. I can obviously smile about it now with, with some space between it, but really drawn out, an only child, and just became an attuned observer, if you will, of both of them, the dynamic, what was going on, the transitions, the transformations, all of that. And so, you know, from an early age and and from an unevolved space, I think it was, I never want to experience something like this. I see it firsthand and I, you know, it, it, and it is incredibly painful. It was incredibly painful. And so I really got curious about relationships. What makes some of them work? Why don't others work? What is healthy, functional? What is dysfunctional and unhealthy? And I was really set out to make sure that I would be able to be in a healthy relationship. So so I went, my university was in psychology and then I went on to study marriage and family therapy. And you know, we, we, I do believe that we get into the work that where we need to heal, you know, explore. And, you know, for me, it was always through understanding where we come from, where we came from, right? My family system, I need to understand what it is that I observed, what it is that I experienced, what it is that was expected of me, the roles that I took on within this little unit, right? There were only three of us and how those things then become the patterns and the reenactments that we find ourselves in as adults and you know how we can use the container of relationships to grow and transform and heal whether it's self with self or self with other and so you know the obviously the work has has evolved and it's not so much from the angle of i can never get divorced right i, I never can have this this experience but more about seeing that there is a gap and a hole in the education around understanding relationships and understanding our families and the impact that that has on us as individuals. And so, yeah, for me, it's, I love this work. It is so important to me. I love being in the room with people. I love being in groups and I love having people start to observe and begin to see their origin stories and the templates of all the things that we're given and how we begin to explore and challenge and reclaim ourselves. Oh, I love that. I love that your your passion and your enthusiasm. And I love that it's birthed out of such an authentic experience because it's then it's relatable. You really can understand, not that anyone can really understand someone else's experience, but you have a foundation. The, one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you was also because of the problem of how do you deal with divorce? And, you know, my husband came from a divorce family too, and it really did affect him. It took years for him to even admit that he had, you know, an issue. And, it's, and, and so often that is the case, you know, that, that people don't, it just 
breaks people, doesn't it? And can you unpack that? It's such a it's such a big topic. So you being an expert, where do you think is a good place to begin in unpacking? You know, I'm I'm so glad we're talking about this. I remember being in grad school, so I was already through my psychology degree, and here I was getting educated in marriage and family therapy. And I held on to the belief, the narrative that I was unaffected by my parents' divorce through through grad school. I mean, I was committed to that story. I was like, I'm good. I they're they're great friends. And and it's true that they had really transitioned their relationship from incredibly hostile and chaotic to really good friends. They would drive together to my lacrosse games, et cetera, et cetera. And so I held and I clung to this. I am unaffected by this divorce. It didn't impact me. We're great. They're good friends. I'm, I'm good. I'm a functioning adult, except all these things. And it was so, I mean, I, I look back on that time and I think, gosh, here I am educating myself, wanting to be a therapist. And even I was pushing back this, this truth that this was hard and that this was something that did affect me deeply, that there was trauma there, that there was wounding and pain that I just had to deny and bury. And it was an extension of the role. And so, you know, when we're first exploring the impact that divorce has. I think as a start point, anybody who's listening is to try to just create a bit of space to say that there, there is an impact, even if I don't know what it is right now. It's confronting for sure, right? Because sometimes we're ready to look and other times we're not. I wasn't ready for a really long time. It was too threatening for me to be ready to look. Probably in there, the beliefs were I wouldn't be okay. Maybe I wouldn't be the same strong, independent woman I had found myself to be at that time. That was invulnerable of me and it was me sort of blocking, but I, I certainly had this story and narrative. And so Anybody who's in this space of you know, either rejecting or resisting or avoiding or pushing back on that, I would encourage just a gentle, I trust that there is an impact there. I have yet to meet someone and I've worked with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of individuals and couples. And so I've yet to meet someone where it is true that there has been no impact at all. Right. And so, yeah, thank you for saying that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Right. And so I'll still look for that person if there is one out there. You know, yeah. You'll let us all know. Us. You'll yeah. let us all know. <laughs> I'll update everyone. But, you know, I think it's noticing what it is that I'm afraid of having happen if I create space for there to be an effect. Right. If there, if I create space for there to be an impact, if I create space for myself to feel, and I think sometimes we don't realize that what it is we're resisting is, is generally pointing an arrow to where our work is. And what it is that I want to avoid is where my work is, is where I need to lean into. And, you know, we aren't always ready for that. And so gentleness and compassion for the self, but I do think that we can still set that marker for ourselves and say, I know something is there and when, and I want to keep bringing attention to it. And sometimes we have to do that with another individual, whether it's a therapist or a coach or you know someone we deeply trust in our corner to begin to explore what was this like. And you know, for me, I all of my work starts with understanding the family of origin, right? So this is just the family system in which we grew up. It can look a lot of different ways. There can be multiple people in it. It's not always blood, right? Sometimes we're, we might have the neighbors who wind up 
taking more care of us than a parent does, right? And so sometimes there's a family system that looks a little bit different than the traditional one that we might have in our minds. And so for me, the work is beginning to explore these origin stories. Tell me about what it is you saw. What did you observe? Who did you have to be in order to survive in that space? Who did you need to be in order to keep the system operating? So you've got to start for that origin. Who were you that you kept yourself going till you could actually face? So it's almost like you go into a, into a zone where mm-hmm. you cope. At some point, you have to deal with that. Kids cope. Kids are so strong and resilient and so attuned and their intuition is so spot on. I mean, I I think back to myself and I'm like, wow, I just watched and observed. And it's interesting because I think a lot of the times, you know, in in these moments where there are tears and ruptures in our in our relationships and our lives. It, it, it tends to both offer us some of our greatest gifts in the world and also where it is we need attention to heal. So I became this incredibly attuned individual. I observed. I didn't miss a beat. I, and it, it makes me a great therapist. I see everything, right? I'm, I'm dialed in. I notice the, the silences. I notice it all. And also, right, the shadow side of that is the hypervigilance, right? It's like, I always need to be on. I always need to be watching and scanning my environment, right? And as a kid, what did that mean? That's exhausting. Right. It's exhausting. And it means that I didn't get to bring needs for forward for me. This is my own personal story, right? It was, I had to be okay because I saw a system that was crashing and burning in their own unique ways, but it didn't feel like there was room for, for me to bring my stuff. I thought it was too much. And so I got good at everything, right? I became an incredibly well-rounded individual who, you know, was liked and did well in school and was good at sport and music and on and on. And so I think sometimes when we see the gifts and the resi- like the things that come out of the resiliency, we hang on to that story and, and use it as sort of like the badge of honor. Look at me, look at what I've become. The divorce didn't affect me. See how, how great it is I am. Built all these layers. You built all these layers to cope. Yeah, that's right. And I think sometimes when people think that if they have to name the pain and the wounding or the trauma that's happened, they are in some ways taking and stripping away the gifts and the resiliency that they've earned along the way. And we're not. Oh, that's that. interesting. I like yeah. that. Can you just explain that a little bit more? Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. You know, I think when I'm in conversation, so I, I see many, many clients a week. And when we're first starting off, it is it is common to hear people say, but but it had to happen that way because otherwise it wouldn't be this way now, right? This is, but it developed me. I became this person and I'm proud of who I am today. And so I needed that thing, whatever that thing is, fill in the blank, whatever your story is, right? I, I needed that thing to happen in order for me to develop into this person and I'm proud of her. And so that sometimes, that narrative can oftentimes block us from exploring the past because we're clinging and holding on to the work that we've done. We're clinging and holding on to the person we've become because if we have to go and explore the past, if we have to unpack some of that, I think a lot of times we worry, will it change who I am today? Right? Uh, Because they work so hard to get there. Yeah, absolutely. And, And in many ways, I think a lot of people can hold it as a badge of honor. Right, my resiliency, my adaptability, who I need it. Like I'm, I love parts, characteristics of the self, 
right? And if I didn't have those experiences, would I still have access to it? So a lot of times people like to avoid going there. Also, we, we like to protect. You know, sometimes people think, I don't want to throw my parents under the bus. They did the best that they knew they could do. And I think our work is to make space for that to be true and for us to have the experience that we had. Right? That can be true and we can also be hurt. That can be true and we can also be carrying around pain. That can be true and we could have still craved for something different as, as a child, as a kid, as a teenager. Let me tell you about my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of non-fiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. I love Blinkist because in less than 15 minutes, I feel like I can fast track my path to a more intelligent and informed and healthy me. I use Blinkist as part of my daily brain building morning routine, which helps really boost my mental health throughout the day. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Dr. Leaf. Try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. The link will be in the show notes. So then that there's an incomplete, almost like a conflict then. So you've got the self that you've built that is you're proud of because, and that thing built, you needed that to become this. But actually there's a little gap somewhere and a little hole that's eating at you. That you mm-hmm. need to, that's, that's contributing to maybe the feeling of what hovering anxiety or whatever yeah. could, various different things, just behavior patterns or relational issues that you're now going into. Is that mm-hmm. what you're saying? So you'd have to go and find, so it's not enough, it's good to, to identify what you've achieved through that trigger, or whatever you want to call it, that incident. But it's, there's also, you've also got to go back to the origin of what was the dark mm-hmm. side. That's right. Right, because a lot of times the gift is coming from the shadow energy, right? It it can be coming from the pain. And I think what we don't always understand is no one can take this away from you, right? Through conversation, through exploration, no one can take it away from you. You will always be able to have access to it and to hold it. But to understand where it's coming from is the expansion and that's the transformation. I understand where this is coming from. I, I am taking this path of integration. I often talk about like knowing all of the pieces and then choosing how we show up in this world. Right? It's moving it into our conscious minds and being aware of, of why we're showing up this way, how we're showing up this way, what's driving it for us. Is it coming from a fear-based place? I need to be this way so that you know, a person doesn't leave me or I'm choosing to be this way and there's space for others to choose too. Mm, that's really good. You know, I love what you said there about the moving up into the conscious space, those unconscious things that drive us. The In the work that I do, in the clinical trials that I've just done, I, I, my, a lot of my work in the last 38 years has been on the non-conscious mind, not the subconscious. The, the distinction between the non-conscious, the subconscious, and the conscious. I've worked on all three, but I've really focused on the non-conscious mind and looking at that from a neuroscientific angle because it's an area that I believe is very under misunderstood and also kind of pushed to the back. You know, it's very much that we don't have free will and all this pre- 
pre-programmed thing. And there's a lot more intelligence going on there than what we understand. And as you're describing this now, what you're describing is a whole lot of very intelligent energy in the non-conscious mind. And we can see that on QEEG scans. You can actually see the truth of who a person is functioning as will reflect immediately. The non-conscious is reflecting immediately on a QEEG. And then also the translation into the physiology, like in your neuroendocrine system and so on. And that is very evident. But you can consciously be saying, hey, yeah, no, I, I got you because of that. I am the person. So consciously, exactly the word you say, consciously, this is I'm here because I needed that to be here, which may be part of the truth. But the non-conscious mind is showing tremendous anxiety because we saw that in a lot of our subjects that they would be saying, no, no, I'm actually, I got this. But they are so depressed. Their brain is like completely in a state that you actually wonder how they're even functioning. And the truth is, but I, I'm actually not able to get out of bed that often. I'm battling in my relationships. I hate my job. I'm actually really depressed. No, but I'm coping. You know, so there's this paradox, you know, so we were able to use like show them and say, listen, this is not, the brain is not your mind. The brain is reflecting. It's simply reflecting what your mind is going through, your unconscious. But there's there's work that needs to be done. And then I have techniques and whatever. But just to, to back up what you're saying, it's so true. You can't just leave it because you, you're damaging. Yeah. When your, your brain is like a message telling you what your unconscious mind has actually still got to work on. Yeah. Thank you for adding that. That's it's so powerful to sort of understand some of that that science behind it because right, it's like that's what I'm talking about is the integration. Right. If up here, right, like the, the head above the water is like doing the thing and da-da-da-da. And I'm showing up this way and look at how strong I, I am. And that's what I was saying before. I presented as this strong, independent woman, right? But and uh, unfortunately, internally, what was happening was incredibly different than that. And so I think a lot of times when we look at the outcomes of who, right, how a person is showing up, what it is that they're doing, what they look like, how much money they make, do they have a relationship or not? Like all of these things that we take in as data points to say, oh yeah, they're doing okay. They're doing just fine, right? Look at what they're doing. If it's not integrated, right? If it's not aligned, right? Then exactly what you were just saying is internally, the system is showing up entirely different than what is actually appearing. And we can fake it. We can fake it for a while to the outside world. It will explode. Yeah. It will explode and we can never fake it to the self. And that's the thing is that if we're wanting to, to live in empowered, expansive, transformed, healing kinds of ways, we must line up those parts. And that's where this work comes in so that we can integrate it. The outcome, the thing that's outwardly may not shift that much. You might, that's and true. That, yeah. It doesn't always shift, right? What it appears, it doesn't always shift, but what it feels like, right? What's happening is entirely different. And that's why I think sometimes people think, well, I'm doing just fine, or they're doing just fine because it looks it, but they're not. Yeah, but it's yeah. not because there's those certain little cracks that will start coming. And you know, I always, I always used to say, and I teach it as well, it's a similar sort of thing to what you say. It's a volcano and eventually it will erupt. And you, no matter what, it'll erupt somewhere physiologically, neurologically, mental space, all of the above. So we can't just keep suppressing. And also what I want to do, I ask you, do you find as well, once you get that integration starting to happen or people aware of the need for integration, do you find that you have to help people understand that this is a process of time and it's the rest of your life? So like literally it's just beginning once yeah. you start that process because people are very much in this kind of day and age. We want, you know, the quick fix and yes. to get, you know, it must be done. 10 sessions. Hey, why aren't I fixed mm -hmm. yet sort of thing? Do you find that is an issue to get people to understand the integration process is time consuming? consuming and ongoing? 
It's a forever practice and it is a constant waking up every day to, and, and committing to it. And I think it's a way of living as opposed to a checklist or, you know, a, a few things to get done in, in, you know, however many sessions it's, it is a forever practice. And there will be things that you do not observe in yourself that you won't be able to observe until five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, right? Like we're in, you know, for me, so much of the work is being the observer of the self. It's moving ourselves into our conscious minds. It is a practice of self-awareness and intimacy with the self. To me, when I say that, what I mean is going innermost with the self, getting really curious about the self and that I do that every day and I'm going to find something new. There is an endless amount of information in there, endless. I mean, it's it, it really is, and that's the beauty of it. But for some people, it's the <laughs> the frustration. It's like, wait, what do you mean? I can't get this done. So yes, it becomes a a gentle conversation that this is a forever practice. But that you know, when we repeat things over and over and over again, you know, we're we're carving out new new pathways, right? To you know, and and so we strengthen that over time. You strengthen that, and you don't have to lose, as you already said. You're not going to lose. No one's going to take that away from you because it's your no. story. You know, there's a there was a large move in, and there still currently is in psychiatry to try and numb out the pain and eliminate the experience. But then you're eliminating a whole part of who you are. But you're doing is you want to. I always talk about embrace, process, reconceptualize, which is how the brain mind process works together and how your body will follow on. And that's kind of pretty much what you're saying. You know, this is so, such important stuff. Can can you give an example of maybe, I know you've given of yourself or even, and if you want to use yourself as well, is how do you then recognize those signs that perhaps you're not integrated? Your parents went through a divorce perhaps and now you see in your own relationship, maybe you're married or you're in a, engaged or you just entered a relationship or you're battling to enter. Is there a trend of some signs or do, does every individual have their own unique sign of that there's a lack of integration. I mean, obviously, individuality is what counts. Could you give an example of when do people have to start doing this self-work and recognize the divorce has had an impact? Yeah. I mean, across the board, I think reactivity is a really beautiful sign of where there is important work for us to do. So where it is I become reactive is where it is I need to look. Where it is you become reactive is where it is you need to look. It lets us know that there's information there. Everybody has, of course, their own unique story, right? Who who the players in the system were, how they showed up, who you needed to be in response to them. You know, that of course is going to be, you know, different and unique for each person who's listening. But I think what is the thread across is where do I find myself reactive? Because if you're listening to this, that's just the, the simplest question to ask yourself, where do I become reactive? And reactivity might look big and loud, and it also might be shutting down and silent and quiet, right? So it doesn't always look exactly the same. So where is it that I disconnect from myself or from others? Right? Where do I? Maybe it's dissociative. Maybe it is aggression. Maybe it is shutting off and closing down, and nobody has access to us. Right? So it's just paying attention to what are the things that I feel when I am reactive. Where is that arrow pointing? And that's where we need to become curious. Because what I generally say is that, again, I don't. I have yet to find a time where this hasn't been true. But that in that reactivity, it is pointing to something that's familiar. Now, the context of what's happening might be different, but there is a familiarity. It's the the system knows. 
it's a pattern. The system knows. And there's information that's stored in the same way that you're talking about before, right? There's information and there's data that is stored. And whatever is happening right now is pointing to you to something that is familiar to your system. Your reactivity is saying, well, I know this. We know this. There's something here. Go into whatever, one of the four Fs, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mode, right? Our defense mechanisms. Go into that space right now and shut it down protect whatever you need to do. And when we can start to become curious, right? I always say lead with curiosity. When we can start to become curious and get to know, well, what's familiar? Where's And this is where I come back to, what's the origin story? When we can begin to identify, okay, this feels familiar because... So I'll give an example. My father was a master manipulator and gaslighter when I was growing up. I always give him a high five now because at 82 and then for the last five to seven years, he has entirely changed his life and is the most wonderful human there is. Well, I'm so happy it worked out for you like that, really. Yes, because it doesn't It doesn't always. And I thought, oh my gosh, when, I, when he got into his 70s, it was like, I don't know if this will ever change. But I guess having a therapist as a daughter who's constantly <laughs> working on it, right? It, it, I got it. I, we got there. But so he was a master manipulator, gaslighter. And I may have alluded to it before, but I became very good at scanning, constantly tracking, tracking, tracking. And I was really the only person in his life who, who could catch him and he couldn't get away with it. I became a bit faster than, than he was able to be. And I, I felt pride in that as a kid, for sure. But that was a survival mechanism, wasn't it? It was how you survived it. Mm -hmm. That's right. Because otherwise it's dangerous, right? It is unsafe and it is dangerous. And so this, this part of me, you know, when I think about how it's come along and when I feel like there is information that is being withheld or there's information that feels just slightly off or a little bit funny to me, right? There can be a reactivity there. Right. And so that part that is constantly scanning, constantly looking and where it comes up in my life, where it's not so pretty is I have a need to be right. So needing to be right means that I'm safe, means that I am not in danger. You can imagine that needing to be right in partnership or relationship is not the most thrilling thing to always have there. Right. Right. So, you know, I, I just use this as an example because I think, you know, this is a constant practice for me just because we do this work does not mean that we don't have these moments in our lives too. Right. Of course, I am aware of it. I can see it. I bring observation to it. But there are often, there are still moments where that part can get into the driver's seat where she needs to make sure that she proves her point and that she is right. And it, it can become destructive to relationships over time. It corrodes, right? I constantly need to be right in order to protect myself and essentially offering the relationship up as a, as the trade. And so if we don't bring awareness to understanding, okay, well, so what's familiar about this moment? Who did I need to be as a kid? How have I pulled that role with me into my adult life, into my relationships, into my romantic relationships, whatever they are? What do I see here? What just happened in this moment? And how do I bring the observing mind forward to share this with the other person. Obviously, I'm talking about intimate relationships here. Somebody somebody we trust, right? I'm not asking people to, you know, share, divulge things to people who are who are new in your life. But 
right? That like when there is a safety and a trust in the dynamic, right? How I can start to bring forward this felt familiar to me because this is who I needed to be as a kid or as a teenager. This is where I go in order to protect myself. But I see that when I protect myself, I'm also maybe not protecting the we, the system, the us, right? And so those types of things begin to open up dialogue, right? So in therapy, we can take that conversation somewhere really beautiful and expansive and transformative. Oftentimes what's happening for one person is then opening up a a part in the story for the other, right? If I need to be right and prove my point, well, what's that? Why is that familiar to my partner? And you're doing this in couple therapy, this kind of approach with the couple. And I mean, obviously it's different for everyone, but does it bring conflict into the situation? Do you find what, what happens? What's the general... Yeah, I mean, I think it's the conflict is probably already there. My, you know, my my take on conflict is that it is we most of us have to reframe our narrative around conflict. For me, conflict is information. You know, for most people, conflict. You know, we think about what is it that I associate with conflict? Maybe divorce, maybe anger, maybe aggression, maybe abuse, maybe passive aggressiveness, maybe silent treatment, right? And so a lot of times people don't raise their hand when you say, who likes conflict, right? In a, in a room, who likes conflict? No, not really me. I don't think I do because I know where it goes. Ah, and it's got an association with it as opposed yeah, to information. That's right. So you need to find the information associated with the concept. Conflict, in my opinion, holds the key to some of the most important information that we can learn about ourselves and about each other. I generally say that when in conflict, our goal, if we can do it well, I will learn something new about myself and I will learn something new about you. It's hard work because there are so many things that are getting activated within. But when we can navigate it, and again, so hard, this is not a snap of the fingers overnight thing. This is not a, I listen to a podcast and I, I, you know, conflict is information and this is it, right? But this two is, two but, therapy again, sessions and you're like, perfect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, but the practice of seeing, okay, flag in the sand, it's waving. There's something important here. I'm going to learn something so important about myself and about you. If we can find the way in in a safe way. And conflict can be safe. Conflict can create security. It does not have to be this thing that maybe we associate it with. We have the reins. We have the control of how we want to respond to it, how we see it as a threat or not. And it's hard when it was a certain way because that reframe is not just a mind reframe. Very hard to just be like, okay, conflict's good. No, the system, if it knows it, ah, right, it has to be, you know, the embodied experience of it, right? It's like, it it doesn't just change. No, it takes time. You probably have heard me say that no diet or exercise routine will work unless you get your mind and mindset right. That's why I love Noom. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Noom is not a diet. Rather, it is a tool to help you develop the right mindsets around health, fitness, and food. Noom doesn't tell you what to do and what not to do. It teaches you how to look inside your own mind and make better decisions for yourself. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and community of other Noomers, so you'll have all the support you need to empower your change. 
You don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom, N-O-O-M dot com forward slash Dr. Leaf. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com forward slash Dr. Leaf to start your trial today. That's N-O-O-M dot com forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link and details will be in the show notes. You know, one yeah. of the things that I've done in my research is how long does it take to change? Mm-hmm. You know, it means forming new memories and, and we form memories physically in the brain as well as in the in the mind. And just what you're saying here is so true. The way you verbalize it is beautiful. If the system's got to change and it takes at least 63 days to just literally start the, pro- and everyone keeps thinking that it's 21 days to build, you know, the myth of the habit formation. And, yeah. you know, and this is not just a habit formation. Habit almost sounds like something, I, I don't even like to use the word habit much before because I think it kind of feels almost like we've reduced something to a thing as opposed to some very intelligent, dynamic, ongoing process that you've been describing. And so it takes at least 21 days to form the physical structure in the brain of change, the actual new thought, and then another 42 at least to turn it into something that's got enough energy to impact behavior. You know, so when you tell someone that you're going to sit for at least nine weeks before you actually feel integrated, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that people have to get their head around. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's a, that's another, it sounds like you're finding that in therapy as well, that the time do you get kickback in, in terms of time with your with couples i don't i think at people generally when they're coming to work with me have an idea of what the work will be and so i think for for the most part most of the people who come in to see me are open ready to do ready to do the work okay ready. that's good yes but i would say that you know when you're when you're first starting out as a therapist you know there are so many people of course who want that quick fix yeah yeah change it. Work. yes i need to change the outcome or yeah like you know this needs to be answered in two sessions and it's like yeah know, it doesn't work like that yeah okay. it doesn't work like no so i've got so many questions i want to yes. ask you we're running out of time and we're going to have to do this again because this is amazing i just love how you explain things it's just so logical and and easy to understand so thank you for everything you've said i want to just quickly ask you how do you help parents and families going through divorce i think that's a very that and then i also want to ask you about guilt so let's just do the how do you help parents and families going through divorce First, and then we'll. So it is common to have people who might still go to therapy through their divorce. And there are also just as many people who want to go in individually. So, whatever that looks like for you, that's okay. You know, I think it's at the beginning, you know, there's a lot of times there can be emotion anywhere from grief to relief. And, you know, it's it's not for us to assume what it is that you might be feeling as you're going through this process because maybe the ending of the relationship is actually quite relieving for you maybe you've been processing an ending for years leading up to the moment or it might be incredibly shocking sad have your whole world come crumbling down and so there's such a wide range of where it is we have to begin so you know as a start point it's it's an offering of just you know, therapists often say like holding the space, right? It's like, I am here for whatever it is that you need to talk about, that you need to feel, that you need to express. I am here for you to just begin to tap into that and observe it and be with it. There's so many layers to the process, you know, and I think especially where it's, you know, you look back and you think about, well, where did it go wrong to, can I be partnered again to, if you have children, how is this going to impact them? You know, so many people who have kids, you know, there's still those narratives around, we stay together for the kids or, you know, a divorce is going to screw somebody up. And it's, you know, interesting, right? I, I think it's, 
you know, what we said before is that it will have an impact. It will have an effect right? where we began you know, me, right. I mean, a child of divorce is saying that, you know, the invitation is that it has affected you and that is okay. Every single one of us has a story. That story is there for us to earn and reclaim, you know, our healing and the, you know, the things that we gain from doing this work. You know, part of what you might be contributing to a child's story is that there's a divorce for them to explore at some point in their lives. That is okay. And how you show up as a human being is really what matters in the aftermath of that, right? It's, you know, if, if you teach your child that divorce does not have to be the worst thing in the world where you shame and you never get to love again and, you know, one time and that's it, even if that's what you went into it thinking, right? It's like, it's creating space to not know, creating- To change. Yes. And to change, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I think that when I see people go through divorce or endings of any kind, well, there's a there's a permission that always comes along with it, right? A permission to feel, a permission to change, a permission to take ownership and accountability and responsibility for, and ownership to see the parts in the self and and also see the parts in the other, and to choose how it is you'd like to be and to show up in the world moving forward, whether that's as a parent, whether that's as a future partner, whether that's as a friend, whether it's you with you and how you treat yourself and what, what it sounds like in, in that you know, inner monologue and that inner critic internally. And so, yeah, just as a, a short answer to that question, right? It's gentleness, curiosity, that there's information here. We keep saying that. And that if I'm open to that, right, that I don't know some things right now and I'm willing to learn these things and I want to choose that I, that I can show up in this world or in a role in a successful and successful will be defined very differently for people, but in a successful way for me, and we have a lot of transformation and healing that can happen there. I love that. And then the last question, I love that it's really helpful. I've, my question's up on the screen. I want to make sure yeah. I ask you this one. What are some tips and pieces of advice you can give and share for parents who may be struggling with guilt due to a divorce? I know that's a big question, but just, you know, we can dive into this deep in another podcast, but just let's, let's give a little bit because I know that that's a huge thing. Yes. So the first thing that I would say is be with it. You know, I think a lot of, yeah, I think a lot of times we're like, no, 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 no. And here's why not. And da, 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 yeah, is if you're feeling guilt, pull up a chair, get to know it. It's telling you something. It's giving you information again. Get to know it. It's going to point you in a direction that is worth getting to know even more. Right? What does the guilt say? Let it speak to you. Truly, like you might even actually pull up a chair. You can also just do that in your in your mind. But like, pull, like speak to guilt. What do you have to tell me? What's here? What's coming up? Right? And and listen to it because it may point you to how you wished that your parent had shown up for you in the divorce. It might point to how an, a thing that you know you didn't own or take responsibility responsibility for that you then need to look at and be with even more. Right? It, it is not a it doesn't have to be a bad thing. And simultaneously, right, it's creating space to be human as well. I have always said that my definition of, of self-love is the balance of ownership and accountability with compassion and gentleness. And right? it's we are human, right? There are going to be things that we do that we look at and we say, yikes. Ouch. Oh my goodness. Right. 
I could I gross I hate this part of me you know like absolutely and we are human right and that is not a trade of ownership. It's just and, right? Both and. Good. It's yeah. not a trade of ownership. It's an and. Yes. So good. Yeah. So we'll have to get into more of it, but that is, that is where I would start. Pull up the chair, get to know it, create space for ownership and responsibility and accountability, but never, 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 never let go of the human within. Gentleness and compassion for the self as you explore what that guilt is and where it's leading you and pointing you. I love that. And I love the end statement. Can you say that again? Human and. and. Yes, human and. Yes. Love what did that. I say exactly? We'll have to rewind the two. Yeah. <laughs> but let's rewind it. But it was really good. Just the fact that we're allowing ourselves to experience that. You don't have to destroy yourself because you've gone through that. You've gone through that and you're a human. So it's kind of, let's now yes. move forward. Otherwise people get stuck in, I shouldn't have done that. It's so terrible. Yes. I think that's what happens. And then the, the repercussions on other people and you're carrying all that guilt. You just have to keep moving forward. This yes. has been amazing. How can people find out more about you? On Instagram, I'm at MindfulMFT, as in Marriage Family Therapy. And my website is NewYorkCouplesCounseling.com. Doing plenty of virtual things now. You know, Generally, when we're back in, in person, retreats and events and all that. So you can find Wonderful. all that information on either one of those channels. Wonderful. We'll put those links in the show notes. And I'd love to have you back again. I feel like we just started the discussion and it's already like 45 minutes in. Can you believe it? It's wonderful. I loved it. Thank you so much for sharing Thank your wisdom you. and your time. And I look forward to talking again. Thank you. And stay safe. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter, where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.